Well, we are continuing this morning in Hebrews chapter 12 today. We're looking at verses 3 through 11, so take your Bible and uh, turn with me to Hebrews 12, and we're going to read this together beginning in verse 3. Let's stand together in honor of the Word. Let's read it. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not resisted, not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you that it is a a treasure of truth. It is truth to live by. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you have given to us these Wonderful truths in regard to your nature and being and who we are and what you are about, what your purpose in this world is. But Lord, we also thank you for these passages that deal with how we're to live and what you want us to be as your children and how you even discipline us at times for our own good. So Lord, help us to learn the lessons Again, today, from your word that you have for us, help us to be open and receptive to these truths. And Lord, help us to have that desire to diligently apply each of these things to our lives. And Lord, we pray that it would all be for your glory and honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The issue of suffering has always been a dominant theme in the history of God's people. The theological question referred to as theodicy is addressed at several points in the Bible. That question, of course, deals with the issue of how a good and gracious God can use evil to accomplish his divine purposes. This was especially pertinent to the original readers of the book of Hebrews. Because this Jewish audience was suffering severe persecution at the hands of evil people. 
And of course, the Bible addresses this question of theodicy in several passages. But the classic response is found in Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God causes all things, including things that are evil, to work to good for his good purposes. The classic Old Testament statement of this is given by Joseph in Genesis 50, verse 20. And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. God took the evil intentions and deeds of Joseph's brothers and turned them into something good for his people. And one clear teaching of Scripture is that God often uses suffering to accomplish his ultimate purposes. He uses difficulties and trials as an aspect of our spiritual training and our moral development. It is sometimes difficult for us to see how suffering is a good thing, but God always promises to use it for good. And one of the important things for us to consider as we study the Scriptures is that there are different reasons for suffering. And God has different purposes for each situation. For example, sometimes... We suffer for Christ's sake and experience persecution that is no fault of our own. While at other times, we suffer as a consequence of our own sin. And this is where, where the discipline of the Lord comes in, which is the subject of our present passage. Specifically for the context of the book of Hebrews the Jews to which this book had been written were being persecuted because of their break with Judaism. The persecution was coming from other Jews who were upset that they had forsaken the traditions that they had grown up under. And we looked at that persecution in chapter 10, verses 32 and 33 of that chapter remind them to remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. And as we saw when we went through that passage, even the Jews who had not been truly born again had suffered persecution because of their association with the church. The persecution had been largely in the form of social and economic pressures, although some of them had been cast into prison. And because of this persecution, some who had not fully committed themselves to Christ uh, 
were tempted to return to Judaism. Along with that came the Judaizers, who were teaching that you could be a true follower of Christ and fully embrace all the rituals and ceremonies of the Old Covenant at the same time. And, of course, Paul made a very strong case against that idea. But what we have in Hebrews 12, 3 through 11, is a specific aspect of the issue of suffering. Here the author brings in the reality of the discipline of the Lord. And some suffering should be expected by those who are truly sons of God. When Christians sin, there is the expectation of God's discipline. And this is a good thing, not something bad. It is a positive thing, and we should see it that way. You know, many of these Hebrews were wondering why they were suffering so much. And they may have been reasoning, well, if God is all-powerful and He is a God of goodness and grace, then why are we being persecuted like this? It is this passage of Scripture where the author of Hebrews answers this question. And maybe you're here this morning and you have similar questions. Maybe you are going through some tough times right now, and you may be wondering what's happening to you. My prayer is that God will use this message in your life to help you gain his perspective. The author of Hebrews really set the stage for this back in chapter 11 the very last part of chapter 11, because there he spoke of those who suffered and even died by faith. So, in essence, he's saying, listen, suffering is nothing new. This should be nothing new to you. The saints in the Old Testament also suffered as the people of God. But now he's admonishing these Christians here in the New Testament era to run the same race of faith and to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He assures them that their suffering is not in vain, that God has a purpose for it, for their ultimate good. Now, we're going to take this passage in four main divisions And I'm not going to hurry through it because there is much here that we need to understand. And if it takes us more than one week to get through it, so be it. It won't be the first time or the last. But let's begin by looking at the example. The example. Look with me at verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Now, verse 3 is a transition verse between the admonition to run the race of faith and this section on the discipline of the Lord. Some of the Hebrews were apparently saying something like, nobody ever suffered like we're suffering. 
And so the author of this book says, consider Jesus. You have not even begun to suffer as he did. You have not given your life and poured out your blood as he did. Verse 4 tells us that none of them had died as martyrs at this point. And so the admonition of verse 3 is that they are to look to the one who died in their place. He also suffered similar persecution from the hands of the Jews. He had endured such hostility by sinners against himself. The word uh, consider in verse 3 is a command, something that we're commanded to do. But the word that's used there is where we get our English word analyze. It means to compare, to reckon, to weigh out, or to carefully estimate. In other words, these Hebrews were called upon to carefully consider all Christ had suffered for their sake and to compare their own suffering to his. And by the way, anytime we do that as believers... It helps us to put our suffering in the proper perspective. None of us, even in our suffering, begins to compare with the suffering of Christ. He did it for our sake to win our salvation. So anytime we suffer, we must all always look to Christ and consider His suffering. For our sake. But notice the reason that is given for considering Christ so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. The author of Hebrews wants them to become strengthened by looking to Christ. George Guthrie says they were facing persecution at the hands of unbelievers in a way that was causing them emotional weariness. The word translated lose heart is a participle that means fainting or giving up. Thus they were experiencing here a weariness of the soul that was rendering them emotionally fatigued. Have you ever felt that way? You know what I'm talking about. Perhaps you're feeling that way this morning. What is the answer? Look to Jesus. Consider Him. Consider all He has done for you. And it will put everything in perspective. He is the example. But we move on, secondly, to the exception. Look with me at verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Notice the word yet. He's not promising them that they will not become martyrs for the faith, but at this point, none of them had died for their faith in Christ. Now, this is one reason why we know that the recipients of this book were somewhere 
outside Judea because we know there were martyrs already in the church in the region of Judea. So it had to have been written to people outside Judea. But his point here in verse 4 is that even though they had suffered more than most believers do today, they had not suffered as much as those in the previous chapter that had been martyred and given their lives, and they certainly had not suffered as much as Jesus Christ. What do we need to see here? We need to see that there's a parallel that existed between their situation and that of Christ. They both had suffered persecution at the hands of sinful people. They both had suffered at the hands of the Jews. And it is because of this parallel that the Hebrews here can draw strength from the positive outcome of Jesus' suffering. So we need to note the parallel. However, as verse 4 points out, there is a clear distinction as well. Unlike Jesus, they had not yet suffered to the point of shedding their blood. And the point is that if Jesus could endure what he did and gain ultimate victory over sin, then you and I can also endure what we are facing in our own battle against sin. So we have the example and we have the exception. But thirdly, we see the exhortation. Beginning in verse 5, there's a, a radical shift. The analogy changes from that of a race to that of a family. The key word in the rest of this passage is the word discipline. It is the Greek word padeia, the training of a child. MacArthur says this word is a broad term signifying whatever parents and teachers do to train, correct, cultivate, and educate their children in order to help them develop and mature as they ought. This word discipline is used nine times in just eight verses in this passage. But the exhortation here is based on Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. And he's going to quote that here in verses 5 and 6, and then he's going to give an exposition of it. Look with me at verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now that phrase, you have forgotten, can be read in the form of a question. Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? Did they know this truth? Yes. What's the problem? They had forgotten it. 
This is often the very same problem we as Christians have today. Forgetfulness can cause a lot of unnecessary heartaches and suffering. And many times our greatest need is not for some new word from God, but for us to remember what we already know. And many times we forget the truth of God's word because we neglect it. We're not in it every day. We're not studying it faithfully. But many times the answer we need is a truth that we learned long ago, but we have let it slip away. And the author of Hebrews is pointing these Jews to a truth they had forgotten. It is the truth that is presented in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. It is the truth of God's word concerning his discipline of his children. And this should not have been something new to them. They should have already known this. These were principles given in the Old Testament that suffering really is nothing new for God's people and neither is being disciplined by God. The truth is, those who are truly His sons are going to receive His discipline. This should not be surprising to any of us. Now, Guthrie says there are two points that stand out in the way he introduces this quote from Proverbs 3. First of all, he presents the subject of discipline in a positive way by tying it to encouragement or comfort. So we should see this in a positive light. He also ties it in a positive way to the love and acceptance of the Lord. Secondly, he applies the reference to sons in Proverbs 3 to those in the Christian community, in the church. Guthrie says this use of the sonship motif mirrors the earlier treatment of believers as children of God. And you may remember that in chapter 2, verse 10, the author of Hebrews had talked about bringing many sons to glory. Those who are redeemed by Christ are truly the sons of God, the children of God. We saw that. In fact, we see in this passage that receiving the Lord's discipline is really evidence that a person is truly one of his sons, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. The Lord's chastening is only for his sons. It is not for unbelievers. But notice some details about this quote from Proverbs 3. First of all, this is a warning for us not to regard the discipline of the Lord too lightly. The word for regard lightly is the word allegorio. It it means to look down on or to regard as worthless. The Word of God says we're clearly not to do that. We're not to look down on God's discipline as something worthless. 
We must understand it is something very valuable, and God uses it in our lives to accomplish His purposes. We are trained by it. We are matured by it. But here's the problem. We don't always understand our suffering as the discipline of the Lord. MacArthur says if we do not understand our problems as being disciplined, that the Lord sends for our good, we cannot profit from them as he intends. Our reactions cannot be right if our view of what is happening is not right. We must understand our suffering as the discipline of the Lord. Now, what is the sinful tendency of the flesh? It's to take our problems too seriously and to take the Lord's discipline too lightly. We need to turn that around. We need to take the Lord's discipline more seriously and minimize our problems. As MacArthur explains, it is usually because we take our problems too seriously that we take the Lord's discipline too lightly. Our focus is often on the experience rather than on our Heavenly Father and what He wants to do in and through us through this experience. If we believe that His discipline is for our ultimate good, then we will focus less on the suffering that we're experiencing and will suffer more on what He is trying to accomplish by allowing it to come into our lives. Now, very quickly, there are several ways that we might take the discipline of the Lord too lightly. Perhaps the most obvious is by complaining. If we fail to see the value of the Lord's discipline, then we will probably fall into the temptation of complaining about our suffering. Now, I don't want you to think this morning that I am not sympathetic toward those who are going through some sort of difficult circumstance. But what I'm talking about is the fact that we can control how we respond during times of adversity. We can control how we respond. And, of course, there are a lot of different reasons for suffering. Our trials may not always be the result of the Lord's chastening. But if it is the discipline of the Lord in our lives, we should not take it too lightly by complaining about it. We should embrace it and allow it to accomplish God's purpose for us. Another way we might take the discipline of the Lord too lightly is by becoming callous. If we harden our hearts in the face of His discipline, it will hinder what God wants to accomplish through it. You see, the discipline of the Lord will either make your heart softer or harder. We need to respond rightly and soften our hearts toward Him as He disciplines us. A third way we might take the discipline of the Lord too lightly is through questioning. Now, this might be 
similar to complaining, but it shows a lack of faith in God. And we really know what this looks like from our own earthly parenting. Listen, when your child asks why, he is usually not really looking for a reason, is he? He is really challenging your right to discipline him. Or he might be challenging the severity of the discipline. But he's really not demonstrating trust in you that you know what is ultimately best for him. In the same way, we as Christians can question the discipline of God. We can question whether it is right at all or whether the discipline is too severe or whether it has come at the right time. But genuine faith trusts him that he knows what is ultimately best for us and that his love toward us is perfect. Listen, if we really believe in the God that is revealed to us in the Bible, we will know that his discipline is always perfect. That it is always exactly what we need at exactly the right time in exactly the right way. And so the author of Hebrews here quotes proverb, this proverb to say that we need to be careful not to take the discipline of the Lord too lightly. But he also says that we're not to faint when we're reproved by him. Now, this goes to the main point of the author's purpose here. He wants these Jewish believers to persevere in the midst of their persecution. He is equating this with the discipline of the Lord, and his conclusion is they should not faint in the midst of it. Now, as I'm sure you know, some people get so overwhelmed by their problems that they can become depressed or even give up. They may become despondent and unresponsive. In fact, the word for faint there is a word that means to become spiritually inert and unresponsive to what God is doing or why. In this case, they're not callous, complaining, or questioning. They are simply immobilized. But the message here is that true children of God should not do that. We should not faint under the disciplining hand of the Lord. Why is that? Verse 6, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines And he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, this is the second half of the proverb. This tells us that the discipline of the Lord is based on his love for us. Listen, if you are under the discipline of the Lord, that is proof that he loves you. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't bother disciplining you. In fact, as we will See, when we get to verse 7, it proves you are truly his son. Our perspective on suffering should not be based on human reason or understanding. It should be based on our faith in God. Whatever comes into our lives, 
we know that he has already seen it in advance and he has allowed it to come into our lives or he has directly caused it. That means he always has a purpose for it. Here is faith's logic. We are God's children. God loves his children perfectly. He is bound by his own nature and covenant with them to do them only good. Therefore, whatever we receive from God's hand, including discipline, is from his perfect love, and we can absolutely trust it. That is how faith reasons. Paul wrote in Ephesians 3.17 that we're to be rooted and grounded in God's love. That means we're to have a settled assurance that God loves us perfectly and unconditionally. It also means that we believe that He can do nothing apart from or contrary to that perfect love for us. That includes His discipline. You see, anytime you go through any kind of adversity, you can really choose to focus in one of two directions. You can focus on your problems or you can focus on God. One of the two. MacArthur says, instead of looking at our troubles, we should look at our Father's love and thank Him that even troubles are proof of His love. A man who was asked why he was looking over a wall replied, because I can't see through it. When Christians cannot see through the wall of pain, confusion, hardship, despair, and suffering, they only need to look over the wall into the face of their loving Heavenly Father. How many of you parents here this morning have ever said to your children as you were disciplining them, this hurts me more than it does you? Have you said that to anybody? How convinced were your children that was true? That's a tough one for little children to grasp, isn't it? And in the same way, it is often difficult for us to grasp the same truth in regard to our Heavenly Father. But the truth of the matter is that a loving parent never, ever does anything to harm their child. Everything a parent does, including discipline, is always for the good of the child's. And it is never pleasant for the parent to have to administer discipline. You know, we don't want to inflict pain on our children. But we do it because we know in the long run it is going to greatly benefit them. And if that is true for earthly parents, it is infinitely truer of God. Our Heavenly Father is more perfectly loving than any human parent. Lamentations 3, 31 through 33 says, The Lord will not reject forever, 
For if he causes grief, if he sends discipline, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. The Lord does not delight in chastening his children, but he does it for the very same reasons why loving earthly parents discipline their children. The Lord is always tender and careful in his discipline. He loves us with infinite love. His discipline is not based on some kind of emotional response. Unlike some earthly parents who might discipline their children out of anger, he always disciplines perfectly. Nor is his discipline ever beyond what we can bear. In the same way that he promises never to allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear, according to 1 Corinthians 10:13, so we can be assured that he will never discipline us beyond what we can bear. Now, we're not through, but I think this is a good place for us to stop for today. We'll get to the rest of this passage next week. But how do we respond? We need to have God's perspective. George Guthrie wrote this. We, too, in the Christian community, can turn a deaf ear to this language of God, this pain language, or at best, strain to hear God's message through our difficulties, especially when they come at the hands of unfair and hurtful people. We weep at our emotional loss, our bitter sense of rejection and being misunderstood. Our pain deafens us to God's music playing in the backgrounds. Music that seeks to sing joyfully of what God can do in us even while others seek to do harm to us. But we must ask Him to discipline our ears to hear, to help us rouse ourselves to readiness for receiving what He wishes to teach us through our painful experiences. What about you this morning? You're going through something painful right now. What perspective do you have? Do you have a biblical perspective? As we have here in this passage of Scripture. I pray, I hope, that all of us look at suffering from a different light. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning you help us to understand these principles that we might know what you are doing when you allow suffering to come into our lives. And Lord, we pray that um, if it's a result of our sin, that we will be repentant, that we will quickly acknowledge our sin and turn from it so that uh, you can remove your chastening hand from us. But Lord, whatever you desire to accomplish through difficulty and adversity that comes into our lives through pain, Lord, help us to receive it as coming from you and that we might respond in faith, that we might respond fully trusting you and 
learning the lessons that you have for us as your people. So, Lord, help us today to respond to your word in a way that you would want us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.